The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Jamie Anderson, and welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and EverActive Schools. Each episode, we speak with a different leader in their field about topics that impact student and teacher well-being. And today we're joined by my colleague, Tom Wong, who is a unique Pathways Learning Leader at the Calgary Board of Education. He's been a teacher for 20 years in the city of Calgary, and he's an exceptional educator and support for high school students who are participating in the CBE's Unique Pathways program. And I had the opportunity to work with Tom for a few years when I was teaching recreational leadership as part of that program. So I'm so excited to have Tom here today to chat. Now, just a reminder for listeners, we want to make sure that you have the opportunity to pursue your well-being while you listen. So we encourage you to ready yourself to engage in some kind of activity that nurtures your well-being, whether that's going for a walk or, you know, enjoying a nice hot cup of tea, whatever works for you. We really encourage you to tend to your well-being while you listen. So, Tom, thank you for joining us today. Really excited to chat. I'm hoping you can get us started by telling us a little bit about your current role and how you kind of come to think about student well-being through the perspective of your role uh, as an educator. Well, thank you for having me today, Jamie. It's it's an honor and a privilege for, for me to be on here. Um, my role as a unique uh, Pathways Learning Leader is... What I do is I supervise students in off-campus opportunities. So our students um, take courses or programs in post-secondary or in a professional industry setting outside of their own own high school. So we draw students from all over the city for unique pathways programs. And we as a group or team are not attached to a specific high school. We have a short time to get to know our students. So we're Students come to us, and it's like a fresh start for them. They come with a blank slate, and we we build our relationship together. With our students, we feel that you know, our students can be themselves. But once that trust is established, the relationship grows. Through our relationship, we work together, and we determine the needs of our students. And you know, sometimes we find some things along the way. Um, as an example, we um, often, especially with coming out of COVID, there's some underlying mental health issues and come across students that are homeless. And we also have some unique needs. I know that we work together through COVID. And so the unique challenges uh, with the limitations of you know not having access to off-campus programs the same way was really challenging for students too, because they access those programs as a bridge to the next steps during high school, post high school as well. So it's their opportunity to explore, right? During yeah. high school. This is this is their chance to explore. Yeah, which is so important. And which is why, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of the program. And I know I know you you are too. Being able to access and explore those opportunities is so, so important and uh, build uh, another world of connections too. So one of the things we've chatted about around supporting student well-being is that, you know, there are things that we can do proactively to create classrooms that center well-being, support well-being. But we also know that things come up that we can't necessarily anticipate or prevent, and we're sometimes in a space of reacting. So we know that teachers have a duty of care with students within the school day, within extracurricular activities, but we 
do play a role as a caring adult in the lives of our students throughout their time in our classrooms and in our schools. And so because we're uniquely positioned as a part of their lives, we do see sometimes the good and along with that, the difficult. So we know that there are times when students experience acute distress, whether that's, you know, navigating grief and the loss of a loved one, illness in the family, could be experiencing trauma or violence. Like you mentioned in your last example, homelessness, we know that that is a reality of many students in our province. And along with that, you know, mental and emotional distress. So we know we're not alone in this. And and of course, as teachers in a school jurisdiction, there are strategies and supports that can help us. We're not alone in those situations, but we do really want to talk about the teacher experience in this because it is something that is part of the teacher experience. I'm wondering if you can tell us from your experience how a teacher can be a caring adult for students who are experiencing distress. For me, it's about building that relationship with the student and building that trust. And that all starts with you know knowing where they are, be up to date in their world, find out who they are holistically. What is it of interest to them? It's about listening. Sometimes silence is okay. And I know a lot of people struggle with just silence, what to say next, but sometimes it's just okay to be silent and say nothing and just listen. With students, sometimes you don't have answers for them. It's about listening. And if you don't have an answer, be honest and let them know. I don't have an answer, but I will certainly look for an answer. Be empathetic. Don't judge. It's easy for people to say, I know how you're feeling. But do you really know how they're feeling? You can change it to, I'm aware of what you're feeling. I can I can see that you're stressed about something or you're really happy about something. But just be empathetic. Something that we also do and I do a lot is frequent check-ins. and Just let them know you are there. Even the smallest things uh, mean a lot to our students. Something you should also think about is setting boundaries. What are the limits? What you may tell me, I may have to talk to someone else with. So be honest with your students about what your own abilities are as well. Yeah, and I've seen you do this, Tom, like showing that like long-term relationship support. I've seen you do it, so I know how effective it is. I'm wondering if for the audience who has not had the pleasure of working with you, if you wouldn't mind sharing you know, like a story about what that looks like supporting students in that way. Yeah. You know, the relationship that we have with our students really needs to form quickly. We only have them for usually one semester. This semester, I had a student who had troubles getting to school in the morning. And, you know, I talked to him each day. We did our regular check-ins every morning. Hey, how are you? What you doing? Found out he loved football. So he was on the football team. And he invited me to watch one of his football games, and I went out and I watched him play football. We came back and we talked uh, the next morning in class. We talked about his football game, and you know, he the students started to open up to me in such a short time. And this is when the students that I found out that was homeless. So he came to me and he said, "You know, Tom, I'm I'm homeless right now. I don't have a place to stay." But I don't want the school to know because they might ask me not to play football anymore. 
And I said, well, I, I need to connect with your school because they w- might have some supports for you. And so he hummed and hawed and he goes, okay, you can talk to the school, but um, I, I'm still worried about not playing football. And I said to him, well, don't worry about that. We need to look out for you what's best for you. I'm sure they're not going to kick you off the football team. And, you know, I talked to the school. We found him some supports. Um, we found him a place to stay for the weekend. We had food for him. And, you know, through this, he was homeless for about a week. And he never missed a day of school. And, you know, it's all about those little check-ins. Every morning I would check in with him and he would tell me how his evening went, what he did, and what he looked forward to for that day. So it's just, you know, it's about building those relationships. What an incredible story. I think that's a testament to the importance of relationships. Sometimes students come to us and they, they share those things right off the bat, but so many times when students are experiencing distress, we won't know. And they won't tell you either. Yeah. Unless that relationship is formed. Yeah. Investing in them and showing up to support them and, and watch and cheer them on and showing up for their successes is a huge way to build trust. I think that's just such a powerful story. Not only like to exemplify, unfortunately, how common these types of experiences are, but a testament to what relationship does and the role that teachers can play in connecting students to those supports. And I love how you problem solve that with the student and allow them to have voice in that, I think also is super powerful as a tool for well-being and supporting them in, in their kind of journey through that experience and out of that experience. On previous podcast episodes, we've talked a little bit about trauma-informed teaching But we also kind of want to talk about some of the ways that distressing events can disrupt students' experiences of school. I mean, oftentimes we expect when kids show up to school that they're there to learn, but the reality is that there are lots of different factors that affect, you know, what happens before they even step into the building. So uh, when it comes to distress, sometimes these things can be all of a sudden, sometimes they can be brewing for a while. What should teachers be on the lookout for to recognize when a student is experiencing distress? As a teacher, I guess as a person as well, um, as you get to know your students, you get this gut feeling that something is off. You're usually right when that gut feeling is there's something off. And what we'll often see is attendance. Students will often be late or absent. They'll come to school tired or hungry, a lack of engagement, so they're not doing their work in school. They're not interested. There's something going on in their world that they don't want to do schoolwork at this point, right? So there's that lack of engagement. They're missing assignments. They're not doing their tasks. They're just not engaged in school. Sometimes over the long term, you'll see dropping of grades, for example, and incomplete work over the long term. I did have a student a few years ago, started off really, really strong, lots of questions. She would come into class every day, smiley face, ready to go. And over time, she started to miss some classes, and then she started to miss some tasks. I could tell I got there was something going on, and, you know, I called her one day and said, hey, what's going on? And she told me that her dad had cancer, and she just had to work through that with her. And I said, Dale, of course, just 
take the time you need. Tell me what you need. What we ended up doing was we delayed some of her exams. We got her caught up in her reading. But, you know, it comes back to knowing your student and what do they need at that time. And I see like that relationship piece comes through with noticing, like paying attention to each of those individual students as individuals, because then you have a baseline and you can can attend to when those things come up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes as teachers, we think more about the academics. We got to get caught up in the curriculum. It's we got to do this. We got to do this. We can't fall behind on curriculum. But you also need to realize there's students that learning isn't their priority right now. They're just really struggling with what they need for themselves personally, right? And as teachers, we need to recognize that. Absolutely. People over tasks, I think sometimes we we lose that in the process of the school year. We can get swept up with all of those different deadlines, but putting those people first. Yes. Knowing that the tasks will come when the people are taken care of. Yes. So are there things a school or an individual teacher can do to open up? communication channels, whether that's with students, parents, families, so that there is a greater awareness and understanding and, and, you know, maybe we can anticipate what's going on with those students and how we can support them. Again, we know with Unique Pathways, we only see the students for a semester usually. Um, We do have some full-year programs, but again, we need to learn as much as we can in a short time with our students and are able to help support them. So, as again, we draw from students throughout the city, and they have to apply to our program. So we ask students to submit a statement of intent, which really tells us about who they are and what they're passionate about, what they're interested about, what is their background, and who are they as learners. So we learn a lot from what they tell us at the beginning before we even meet them. We also ask for, you know, a teacher's statement of support. Um, And that really helps us learn more about students before we even meet them. And then going from there, we often will meet with the students in an orientation before we start class. So we meet with the students, the schools, the parents, and we talk to them about what does this look like for the first few days. And again, these kids are coming from all over the city, and it's usually by themselves. They're not with their friends. They're taking a program on their own. And it could be scary for the first few days, weeks. They're in an unfamiliar place. So it's about getting them feeling safe and a sense of belonging. So, you know, when we do our orientation, it gives parents and students and schools an opportunity to meet us and as well as the other students around them before they even start class. In the end, what we do is we give everyone, um, students, teachers, and schools, our contacts as well, and we encourage them to contact us if they have any questions or concerns. So this, to me, it's all about two-way communication. We're all working together as a team. It does truly take a village. It's about communication and relationships. That's a fantastic reminder. And I think one of the things that we forget is that those two-way communication channels should be attended to throughout the year. I know with your work around uh, the city, you see you have their students traveling, you see them moving from uh, their homeschool to a different location. And so there's opportunities to have those conversations about logistical pieces, but also check in and how things are going. Yes. I'm wondering 
a lot of folks who are listening may be classroom teachers and they're maybe used to the very specific parent-teacher interview modes of communication. Do you have any suggestions about other ways to reach out to parents and bring them into conversations about the learning in ways that are like a two-way communication like you suggested? What we do with Unique Pathways, again, we are quite unique in what we do. And I don't know if it's possible or if it's even wanted, but I give my, even suggested, I give my contacts out to parents and and students. They can reach me. Um, It's a cell phone. They can reach me at any time. And it also works the other way. On my cell phone, I have their contacts as well. And if there's issues that I need to talk to students or parents about. It's in the moment, right? If there's something that's coming up or there's something that you're concerned about, I'll call the parents or the parents will call me and they'll let me know. You know, often parents will call me and say, hey, my child is experiencing this. Can you give them some support with this and that? So it works both ways. And then, of course, I'm there, I'm listening and I'm being active and proactive at the same time to help our students. I think that's fantastic too, bringing back the good old-fashioned phone call. I know sometimes as classroom teachers, we feel like we're communicating. A lot of times it's like passive modes or or one-way modes of communication, right? Like the emails, the blogs. And our day doesn't stop at when the bell rings. um, We are on the phone. I'll be on the phone into the night sometimes talking to students and parents because that's that's their world too, right? So, yeah. you know, making yourself available when they need you. And, you know, parents work too, right? So yeah. it's it's okay. Call me. Sometimes they feel bad. I, I know it's after hours. Well, really, it's not after hours. I don't really have posted hours. If you want to call me in the evening and we want to talk about what your child or my student need, of course, that's why we're here. Absolutely, yeah. That two-way communication and, and showing up, I think, again, builds trust. There is uh, an important role for trust in that relationship with parents and caregivers as well. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, you've been a teacher for 20 years. A lot of our listeners are pre-service teachers. I'm curious if you could share with them what you've learned over the years that has equipped you to you know, show up for students as a supportive, caring adult. So what I always do is, you know, I always try to give the support at where they're at. And it looks different for each student. just takes a spark to get them interested in something, right? If you provide that environment that is supportive and caring, they're going to come to you and you're going to learn more about them. And again, it comes back to knowing the, the student holistically. For me, it's those little things that make a difference. Get to know your students. What do they need? I have a student right now that, you know, he struggles to get to school. He said to me, do you mind giving me a wake-up call each morning? And I said, of course not. If that's what you need, tell me what time you want me to ring. And uh, he says, 7.30 in the morning, that will get me in time for school. And that's what I do. I My day starts at 7.30 with a quick phone call. Hey, are you up? How are you doing today? You ready for school? Those are the little things, right? So it's about building that relationship and what's best for the student. What does the student need? 
And again, it doesn't have to come back to the academic piece. It's what do I need to do to get you to school and you're ready for learning and you're ready for your day ahead of you. That's such a good reflection. And it speaks to, again, the holistic well-being. Like not all of our students need the same things all of the time. No. So when we respond to those needs, like a wake-up call, if everything else in their day rests on that piece, that's an easy support and kind of a proactive support to assist them with. It gets them looking forward to their day, yeah. right? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be late for school. It's going to ruin the rest of my day or it's going to snowball after that. And yeah. the solution is, that's all you need. <laughs> we'll, we'll get that done for you. Yeah. And sometimes when students don't have those supports in their day-to-day life, if we can be the support for that piece, then we also don't have to be on the other side. Like we can prevent the interventions of, you know, so-and-so is not attending school, right? Like we can be proactive with those little pieces. Yeah. And of course, everyone's capacity as a teacher is going to look different for that. But to be able to do that small piece I imagine also invests in your own well-being too, because you get to start your day off with something nice and know yeah. that you're meeting that student where they're at and that will change the course of their day. So again, recognizing you're in a unique role in the Unique Pathways program where you see students for a semester, you're not necessarily seeing them in a brick and mortar school. I'm wondering if you can share from your collective experience, what ways you and your colleagues support students in proactively building up their support systems and their distress tolerance, their toolkit to tend to their well-being. I think your last example is a really good way to proactively support those students. So we would love to hear some strategies or coaching that you provide to students to support them when those moments of distress come up to be able to access what they need, to be able to ask for help, and to be able to, to navigate that distress in a way that supports their well-being. For me, again, it, it takes a village. I don't take credit for any of this. It's all about working as a team. Um, for me, it's providing that wraparound support for students, constantly communicating with home high schools, instructors, parents, students, What's our next step for you as a student? What can we do to help you move forward academically or emotionally? It's that wraparound support where we talk to each other. I speak to parents. I speak to school. I speak to students. And we share information about each other, about the student, and how we best can support the students. The kids that come into our programs, this could be their spark, right? It, this, for some, it's a life changer. It's, okay, I'm... I'm with students that um, have similar interests, they can connect, even students support each other. Yeah, those support systems and those support networks carry through even beyond the course itself. I think we've seen that a lot with the REC leadership course, uh, which is part of the Unique Pathways programs. And those students develop those relationships and find supports that they can bring back into the school environment. They know that they're supported and Whatever's going mm-hmm. on in that school environment, they have these external support systems that they've built. And what was unique about rec leadership was I found that a lot of those uh, students, they, they're still friends with each other. And they've created their own network and support system that they're, they're helping each other out too now, right? So it's such a gift of that type of programming. 
Yeah, as advice to new teachers, it's don't think you're alone in this. Don't think you need to do this all by yourself. There's a lot of supports out there that you can fall back on. I think that's a really helpful reminder. Now, going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, as teachers, we are often approaching our work from the academic lens first, students as learners. So understandably, you know, what happens at home or with family can overtake those school priorities and students' progress in a course and grade can be affected. Sometimes that's how we notice that something's going on to begin with. So we spoke about this a little bit earlier about putting the people first, but I'm wondering if you can share, you know, maybe some strategies, some ideas about how do we support assignments, learning, student assessment when students are in distress? And how can we be flexible in our approach and feel empowered to make modifications when they're needed? So whether that's like making exemptions or postponing exams, what are some things that we can do to ensure that those students have what they need? In my role, it's really important for me to build that relationship, whether it be with the student, parent, or school. What I've done is I've built those relationships with the instructors and with other teachers And sometimes we become the student's advocate. You know how they're feeling. They're just not in the mindset to write the test or exam. So, you know, sometimes it's up to me to approach the instructor if they can't do it, to delay a test or to modify a test. And that's what we do. And sometimes I will I'll follow up. Um, If the student's able to advocate for themselves, I'll still touch base with the teacher and say, hey, do you mind... I know she's contacted you or he's contacted you. Do you mind postponing or delaying and extending a deadline for an assignment or a task? Just knowing that you're there for them really helps. It's what's best for the students. If they are distressed, you're not going to get an accurate assessment of what they're capable of doing, right? So let's help them out. So, you know, as an example, I've had students take home tests, do it whenever you have the time or when you feel like you're ready to do it, have them come back at a different time to write it, have them write a different test. There's not one way of assessing students, right, of what they know. That can sometimes causes distress too. Like, I got to do it this way, but I know the content. Well, Tell me how you know the content, right? So there's different forms of assessment that you can work with students. And it, it's not about timing. It's about when they're ready. Yeah, it's, it's such a great reminder that, you know, these things do not follow our year plans, our time schedule, and there's nothing wrong with taking time to respond mm. in those moments. Um, like you say, we're not going to get our understanding of their learning without taking that time. Yeah, this week I had a student that uh, contacted me, and she'd been sick. Tom, I've just been too sick. I can't really study. I can't really focus. I know I have this exam at at the post secondary this week, and now I also have a bio midterm and a math test coming up. And I said, "Okay, you you take care of yourself. Is there anything I can do? Because can you help me delay the test at the post secondary?" And I I said, "Of course." And I said. You should also advocate for yourself, but I'll follow up. So what happened was she wrote an email to the instructor, and I also wrote one at the same time. So the communication came in both forms from the students. And I also, as courtesy or 
I, I thought I needed to do this and help the student out as well. I contacted her teachers from the school and I said, you know, she is having a hard time studying right now. And she's a great student. Academically, she is a very high student. And I said, I'm not worried about her passing. I just want her to feel like she's doing the best she possibly can. And the teachers all postponed the quizzes and tests for her at the same time, right? So it's sometimes they just want you to advocate for them. And I like, too, that you took the approach of supporting them and advocating for themselves. I think that's also really helpful. But yeah, it speaks to putting well-being first and recognizing that without a student's physical health, mental health, that emotional regulation, we can't support them as learners. So well-being being foundational is a really helpful approach. Now, speaking to the disruption that, you know, distress can cause, I mean, as adults, we experience distress and it causes disruption to our lives and our ability to do our work. So we, we understand that stress, disruption, it can you know, be difficult to control our emotions. And we will see this in classrooms, especially when we're working with younger students who are still developing their social emotional regulation. Ultimately, we know that our frontal lobe is still developing into our adulthood. So we can understand that emotional dysregulation and difficulties with attention is going to be a common experience when students are experiencing distress. How can teachers respond to behavioral concerns from a student that is in distress? I think oftentimes when we think about behavioral concerns, we're coming from a specific place around you know, classroom management, which is tied to discipline and disciplinary channels. How can we think differently about student behavior Specifically, as students are experiencing distress, how do we approach supporting them when it could look like, you know, students acting out or, you know, disrupting the classroom environment and disrupting lessons? Like, how can we look at that differently and, and carve out space for them to be able to feel their feelings because that is part of their experience? I think here, again, it comes back to working together as teams. For me, it's give that student a time and a place to de-escalate. And it could be in the classroom, it could be outside of the classroom. But, you know, setting up that time and that place that a student can just de-escalate. For some, it might be if you are in a school, set up a mentor teacher that the student can go to if it's not you. I used to be a shop teacher, and I had a number of kids that they were free to come in and out of my classroom. When they felt, the students felt that something triggered them, for example, and they just would say to the teacher, hey, I need to go to Mr. Wong's class. And I set it up with the teachers and said, there'd be no questions asked. They need to leave, let them leave, and they know they're to come to me. So they would come to me and, you know, sometimes all they needed to do was put their head down and sleep. And I'd find them a desk and this is that's what they did. Sometimes they just needed something to eat and sleep. So and that's what they did. Sometimes they came into the shop and they just needed to to build something, just distract them of whatever was going on in their world. And it's just providing that safe, caring environment for them that they can feel free that they're not going to be judged and they're just 
there to de-escalate. And when they're ready to go back to class, they go back on their own. And I think it's really important for them to, you know, find that place. If it's and if it's not possible, then it's you work with the student. I recognize that you are distressed somehow. What can we do to help you through this? Right? And you know, when you build that relationship with students, it's they they'll be honest. I need to just walk in the hallway. Trust in them. That's what they'll do. And sometimes it's hard to give that trust. Like if I'm going to let you out in the hallway and wander around by yourself. But sometimes it's like, okay, you, you need to do it. Yeah, that's so true. You also highlight how, you know, sometimes emotional regulation requires our basic needs being met, like being able to eat, sleep. You know, when we're tired, when we're hungry, we can't regulate emotions. And so sometimes attending to those needs, having time away, really offers that opportunity and empowers students to when they're feeling better return to the work which which is helpful i think it's it's not a winning battle to try and force them to engage i think that escalates things even further that's usually a a losing battle isn't it you're 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 forcing them to learn when they're just not in their the right mindset to learn they need something else at that point and that's something else again might just be I, i need food and sleep and they used to come into my class and put their head down and it was their safe place too, right? Absolutely. I know we're kind of speaking to the high school context from from your experience. That that also is true for younger students as well. I know some so, colleagues yeah, who that was middle school. I was in middle oh, school. Oh, that was middle school. school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so like that, having that trust, you can see how how leading with that trust and creating support. So of course, you're not just letting students unsupervised, but you have those arrangements, you have those supports in place, and you have those pathways for students to access that is a way to do that. If a teacher didn't trust they would make it over, they'd give me a quick phone call. And I'd I'd poke my head out the door and say, hey, you coming in? Yeah, I'm coming in. Yeah, yeah. So that trust serves a, a purpose. And also, I think like you're speaking to how we can support students in developing their social emotional regulation. If you ask them what they need and they say, I just need to sleep and you, you let them do that. And then they see that they feel better as a result. You know, that is developing their own strategies and their own ability to advocate for what they need. And I know that there's like a history of looking down on sleeping in school, but the reality is, and I think the research shows like the 2022 participation report card on on the movement guidelines which includes sleep is that sleep is a huge gap kids are not meeting the recommended eight to ten hours of sleep but all of this to say sleep is a basic need and kids aren't getting it yeah and sometimes you know you find out that there's a reason why they're not sleeping and you know it's that conversation with parents did you know your child has come to my room this week three times and just needed to rest well what's going on and then you know they'll seek help or whatever and sometimes it's like oh okay well thanks for letting me know and you know i I did have a student like that the about three years ago and he'd come to class he was really tired he wasn't disruptive in class but he'd come and he'd fall asleep in class he was always tired um, and communicating with the parents and goes, okay, we haven't seen this at home. Because, well, that's because they're at school most of their day too, right? And they're tired. They took their child to the doctor and they found out it was his sugar levels and turned out he was a diabetic, for example. Right? 
Wow. So yeah, like it's not something to approach from a place of judgment. No. That curiosity is so important and can get them the help they need. Yeah, and it comes back to, you know, it, it does take a village, right? So yeah. you're, you're constantly communicating with other teachers, with the student and, and family. So important. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I think it is important to talk about the extreme levels of distress. What if we have concerns that a student is having suicidal thoughts? Maybe this is something that has come up in comments or in a writing assignment. I'm wondering what we as teachers should do if we fear that a student may not be safe in the situation that they're in. So I mentioned suicidality because I think that is one way that shows up. I know self-harm is different than suicidality. Sometimes that shows up. And then of course, uh, we might be concerned that the child is in danger or may endanger someone else. What should we do as teachers? What are our responsibilities as teachers? For me, this question, my advice is this is something you would not or should not handle on your own. There are professionals that are equipped to do so. There are resources at your school that you can access. For Calgary Board of Education, each school has a it's called an Applied Suicide and Intervention Skills Training Person, so assist person. You can connect with them. There's a kids hotline. But, you know, you need to reach out for other supports with this as well. But in the moment, if you're faced with a student that is in distress, the only thing I can really think of is to really enforce that you care and others care. You know, let them know that you're aware, you're not telling you, I know what you're feeling, you're aware of what they're feeling, and encourage them to talk to you or talk to someone, whether it be you or someone else. But in the back of your mind, it's, it should also be, I'm not a professional at this. There are professionals out there, and you really need to seek the support and the advice of a professional, which should be in your school as well. But the key is listening and understanding and then seek assistance. That's so helpful. You know, I recall experiences as a teacher feeling like I have no idea what to do and I know I have to act. What does that look like? And in, in our school, we didn't have that assist trained person at the time. But of course, your principal, your administrators know what to do, who to call, how to support. And like you say, you're not alone. Don't think you're alone or need to be alone in this. And, you know, that relationship with your student has developed. It's going to be an understanding. You you may tell me things someday. Sometimes you're going to tell me things that I can't just hold to myself and I need to talk to others about. Absolutely. And that's usually why they're coming to you because they know you are going to support them. And sometimes it means you will find the support for them. Absolutely. Like you said, building that trust is so important so that they trust that when they're coming to you with this, that you're taking action to take care of them, not to cause further harm, but you're taking action to take care. Yes. And that is part of our professional obligations as teachers is to, you know, like we have a duty to report according to legislation, if there's potential injury uh, or harm to a child or to someone else. But of course, that's not something you do alone. You communicate with principals, support teachers, folks in the jurisdiction who have expertise and can support you through that. 
And Tom, I like how you emphasize that your number one job is to be the caring adult and show that care for that student. They're, they're reaching out for, for a reason, right? Yeah. So as we wrap up, I think the last question that we can think about, obviously, we've covered a lot of ground. You've offered uh, really great examples and stories. I think if we could end on a note about, you know, what could a teacher do tomorrow? What's a first small step to support the well-being of their students from your perspective and from what we've talked about today around, you know, navigating moments of acute distress? I don't think it's a small step, but I think it's an important step. It's about taking that time to know your students holistically. Teaching and learning will follow once that relationship has formed, but take that time to get to know your your students. It's a lot of work, but it's so worthwhile once you get to know them. What I also do is I do a lot of reflecting. Who am I? Why am I doing this? Why is this important to me? How did my day go? What would have I done differently today? Do lots of reflecting. And something I want to leave with you is think back. Think about your first university class experience. How hard was it for you to learn that day? Now think about a good teacher. I'm guessing you remember a good teacher by the teacher, but not so much about the content. And lastly, think about who your favorite teacher was or is. I'm going to guess that you've learned a lot from that and you've taken pieces of that with your own teaching. And I bet you you remember both the teacher and the content. So what did they do differently? That's really helpful advice. I agree. Not not small, but incredibly important place to start. And Mm -hmm. yeah, starting with your values. I have found that like that advice is it speaks to me. I found that such a a challenge sometimes when you get swept up in the to-do list of being a teacher day to day. Yeah, and especially with new teachers, do you, yes. you get wrapped up with the curriculum and I got to get this done. There's a time crunch. I got to finish all these strands and yeah. modules. And sometimes it's easy to forget. Some students need extra support. Absolutely. And I learned the hard way that putting that curriculum first can sometimes like make those relationships even harder. Like you still aren't necessarily going to get optimal learning for students by prioritizing that. But if you flip it and you carve out space for relationships, you can see those learners have opportunities to be their full selves, their whole selves, and their best selves in the classroom, and how those relationships serve as an important through line of support throughout the entire year. I think that's super helpful. Any last words, Tom? No, and I just wanted to say thank you for having me today. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for another conversation on school health, a serious collaboration between the Workland School of Education and Everactive Schools. Special thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. Of course, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB. You can find us on Facebook at Everactive Schools, or you can visit our website at everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the podcast is dismissed. <laughs>